announcements, we are starting a brand new series today for the month of September. It's called, Who Told You That? We're gonna be talking about the lies that we believe as followers of Jesus sometimes. You know, I'm really excited about this month because you know we're all susceptible to believing lies in our life. Uh, a lot of times we're, we're more susceptible to believing the lies that line up with our perception or our passion, right? And uh, it's something that we all have to deal with in our life. How many times have you believed something and then look back later and realized, wow, that's not good. Shouldn't believe that. But it lined up with your perspective or it lined up with what you were passionate about at the time, so you tended to believe it. Um, you know, when I, the teenage me uh, was passionate about not getting another speeding ticket, so I believed that I could hide from a cop that was trying to give me one. And uh, that was a lie. I was not able to hide. I am thankful for a very gracious cop that knew that I was just a teenager that was being ornery, so I didn't get what I deserved in that moment. But uh, how many of you have believed uh, that raising kids would be easy before you had kids? You believe that lie, right? Me and Joy believed that one. We thought, I mean, how come on? How smart can they be? We're smarter than them. And, uh, but you quickly realize that they are uh, not as easy to raise as you might think. Now, if you don't have kids yet, don't let that scare you away. They're still great. They're still rewarding, but there's nothing easy about it. That's for sure. Uh, what about the, the lies we believe about God? That's what we're gonna be talking about this month. The lies about, about his character or who we are or, or who, who we are in him or how he sees us. There's a lot of lies that we can believe about, about God. And we might assume that as Christians, since we follow the truth, that we wouldn't be susceptible to these lies, but the truth is, is that Christians believe a lot of lies about God. And it's for the same reason, because it lines up with our perspective or our perception or our passion. Sometimes it just lines up with our ignorance, right? We just kind of go with the crowd, and how many of you know the crowd oftentimes will lead you off a cliff, right? And so it's so important that we know the truth of God. The real truth is the truth that we all need to stand on and sometimes it's very difficult to even know what's true and what's a lie, even about the character of God, about who we are in him, because sometimes the lies are packaged so neatly and so nicely, and they got a nice little bow over them, and we can even be deceived. But here's the thing. We as Christians should always be asking ourselves, or actually asking God, if we're deceived. We should always be going to God saying, God, show me my heart. Show me myself in this situation. Am I deceived? Am I, is there something blocking my vision here and I'm actually on the wrong track? Rather than just assuming, well, because you know, this is the church I go to and this is what I believe, that this is the truth, but really being willing to say, God, show me. Show me if there's anything in my heart. I'm pretty sure it says that somewhere in the Bible, right? That we should be asking God to reveal our heart to us. And he's the only one because deception is so difficult because when you're deceived, the whole concept of deception is that you don't know you're deceived or you wouldn't be deceived. So God's the one that can reveal the truth to us and we are not impervious to the lies that can come into our life. But there is hope. His name is Jesus and he gives us hope as we follow him and as we live for him. In fact, my text verse for this month is out of John 8 and as I read it, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me please as we always do just in honor of reading God's word out of John 8 and 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You have to know the truth 
for the truth to be able to set you free. And to know the truth, you have to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a very clear formula that we have for understanding the truth and not being as susceptible to the lies that would come our way. The title of my message today is Fact Versus Fiction. We're gonna be talking about the lies about God's will. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time we have together, God. We're so blessed to be together in a community of believers this morning. God, I pray your blessing on this time we have together. Lord, I pray for everyone watching online as well. For those that are watching because maybe they have COVID and they're sick in body, God, I pray for your healing, your supernatural healing. I pray that their immune systems would work as they are functioned and designed to work. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray you restore health to all those that are connected to us that need healing. And God, I pray for this message today that my words would be your words and that it would honor you and glorify you and it would bless us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So God's will. God's will is one of the most mischaracterized aspects of who he is and his plan for us. It's something we misunderstand all the time. A lot of lies are out there about God's will. In fact, so many of the time, so many times for us, when we envision the will of God for our life, we envision this this thing like this bubble that we can get into. If we get into the center of God's will, that it's this utopia, you know, where we're just frolicking in the field holding Jesus' hand, you know, and everything's just great if we're in the, the will of God. We have this conception of what we think it looks like. And in fact, in many cases, we've reduced God's will to this very narcissistic approach to our relationship with him about how he can bless us and how he can serve our needs. And you know, if God gets some glory out of it, that's okay too. But it really can be more about us than about him. In fact, when I mentioned God's will, many of you might even, your mind might even go to places like, well, God's will is about who I'm gonna marry. Uh, it's about where I'm gonna work. It's about where I'm gonna live. You know, and you notice what's common through all of that is it's about me. And there's a place for that, of course. God's a personal God and he cares about us personally too in our life, but that's so, so much more than that. In fact, I'm somebody that believes wholeheartedly that the will of God is more about us knowing him than him serving us. That it is about us being able to be in him, to be found in him, to have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. It's much more about that than the plans we have for our life. In fact, I, I say it all the time and I believe it, it's been evident in my own life. I believe wholeheartedly that if we serve him and seek him with all of our heart, as he says, that you cannot miss his plan for your life. I don't believe you can miss it. I believe he's that good, but it comes with a prerequisite of us serving and seeking and honoring him in our life. And when we do that, he will make sure that our, his plan for our life is accomplished. You know, oftentimes we believe a lie whether it's about God's will or anything, because we really don't wanna know the truth, right? We're talking about lies this month. So you, it's common knowledge that if you're a sports fan, you know, if you're a football fan, if you wanna know the truth about a football team, you don't talk to their most rabid fans because they're not gonna be honest, right? If they lost a game, it's because the ref messed them over, right? You never hear the truth about a team from them. You hear the truth from somebody that's more neutral because fans of a team don't really wanna know the truth, they wanna believe what they wanna believe, especially in September, when it's early on in the year, we have all this hope, right? Or maybe you, uh, you didn't wanna believe that you couldn't afford something, so you went and put it on a credit card and realized later that you're having to pay for this thing over months, and you're gonna pay a lot of interest for it, and you're regretting your decision, but you really didn't wanna know the truth, 
You didn't, you didn't, you didn't care about the lie. You wanted to believe the lie in the moment because a lot of times the lie is more appealing in the moment, right? Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. In fact, we all know people, and you may be this way sometimes too, where people know that when they talk to you, they can't really tell you the truth about a situation because they know you send out a vibe that I don't really want to know the truth. I want you to agree with me, right? We all do that at times, right? Nobody wants the truth all the time because sometimes we're not ready to receive the truth based on our insecurities or whatever the situation might be. So we don't always want to know the truth in our life. But the deal is what Jesus said in my text verse is that the truth is what sets us free. So if the truth sets us free, the lies put us in bondage. And we know that even with our spending. You know, when we bought something we couldn't afford, it puts a, you become in bondage to the debtor, the one that gave you the money. It, it goes that way in every area of life where if we believe the lie, it actually puts us in chains. And Jesus says, I have the truth and the truth is what will set you free. Because see, the truth isn't really that hard to find. It's really not, especially like we're in the information age, right? You wanna know the truth about anything, you can do a quick Google search. In fact, my daughter, who will remain nameless, but her name sounds like Mackenzie, <laughs> came to me this week, and she had a story that she saw on her news feed, which was probably TikTok, and she's, it was this pretty egregious story. She was pretty outraged. She mentioned it to me, and you know I stayed pretty well informed too, and I hadn't heard this, so I thought, mm, I don't know. So I did a quick Google search and found out that it was actually a very much embellished story that really wasn't even true. So lesson to you kids, don't get your news from TikTok or your theology for the love of God. Stop getting theology from TikTok and social media. But you know, if, if you wanna know the truth, it's really not that hard to find when it comes to information. But for us as believers to find the truth of God, sometimes the truth of God can even be challenging for us to find because there's so much about the kingdom of God that is a mystery, right? And for the world, for the unbeliever, it's almost impossible for them to find the truth about God. It's very, very difficult because there's so much about God that's a mystery. But on top of that, we learn from the Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, he tells us that the God of this age has actually blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So notice what it says here, that the, the God of this age, this is referring to Satan, okay, our enemy, our mortal enemy, he has actually blinded the minds, it doesn't say the eyes, it says the minds of unbelievers so they can't even see the truth of who God is. So they're at a huge disadvantage because the enemy is blinding them. That's a big, big deal that we have to, we have to understand, we, have to, we need to be thankful for. If you have no other reason to worship God that you can think of, you can just worship him because your mind's not blind, because you've understood the truth of the gospel of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing for us. Because see, the mind is where the truth is revealed. That's why the God of this age, that's why Satan blinds minds, because he knows if, you, if your mind is blinded, you can't see the truth. We understand truth based on our mind and our thoughts that we have in us. So we, as Christians, though, have a great advantage because the kingdom of God, the truths of the kingdom of God are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, things that the world can never understand. You think about, think about the virgin birth. When you, have you ever tried to explain that to an unbeliever? It's difficult, isn't it? Because it almost when you say it, it can almost sound like, man, this sounds crazy. You're mean to tell me that God who always was, you know, according to John 1, it says the word was in the beginning. So Jesus always was. He decides to come down to earth, 
but not even as an adult. He comes down and comes into the womb of a virgin teenager and she has him and she's his mom and he grows up and he's God and he does all these wonderful things yet they still decide to crucify him even though he never did anything wrong and he's in the grave. Three days later, oh, he comes out of the grave and then he's with the disciples for a while and then he ends up going back to heaven where he started and he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. Now that can sound like a crazy story to an unbeliever, right? because the God of this age has blinded their minds. But for us, God has opened our minds to be able to see the truth of the gospel. There's so much about the kingdom of God that can be such an incredible mystery for us. But as a follower of Jesus, the truth can be found because he reveals it to us. In fact, in Paul, Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look what he says here. He says, we who are followers of Jesus we demolish arguments and every pretension, in other words, every lie, we demolish every lie that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. There we go about knowledge again. And we take captive every thought, there's our mind again, to make it obedient to Christ. You can't take captive your thoughts to make them obedient to Christ if you're not a disciple of Christ. But if we are, we have this ability. This is something the world could never understand. So we don't have to believe all the lies. We could take thoughts, those thoughts still come in, they still hit us, but we could take those thoughts captive and say that doesn't line up with the glory of God and the kingdom of God, so that is going to be pushed out. It's a beautiful promise that we have from our Savior. But you can't have the mind of Christ if you're not a disciple of Christ, which takes me back to my text verse. Jesus said, you will show yourself to be my disciples if you follow my teachings, if you stick to my teachings. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So being a disciple of Jesus, disciple is where we get the word, we get the word discipline from that. So to be a disciple of Jesus means we have to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. If you really wanna be free, if you really want the truth to set us free, we can't just say a prayer at an altar one day and think that I'm a Christian and then just go on and do my life. It's about being, living a disciplined life that's committed to him and his glory, and his kingdom, and his purpose, and his honor, and everything about him in our life. When we do that, then we can know the truth, and it'll set us free. Beautiful promise. We cannot miss this. We have to know the truth. Can't just go by public opinion. We can't just go by public church opinion, because there's a lot of lies even being believed in the church, because we're humans. It's not necessarily that people are, are, are devious in their thinking. It's just that Sometimes we choose to believe lies. I, I'm sure there are lies that I believe. I hope not, not scripturally at least, but there's, there's perceptions that we have that can skew even the truth in our life. So what I wanna do today is I wanna expose some of the lies we believe about God's will. These are all kind of related to each other. I'm gonna start with the first one. The first lie is that God won't give us more than we can handle. Yeah, I guess some of you have heard it. Some of you have been told this lie. How many times have you heard this from someone? How many times have you said this to someone? Now, I'm not saying that to judge you because I'm sure we've all done it. I've even done it in my ignorance in the past. But maybe you saw someone going through a really difficult time and you actually wanted to encourage them. So you said, oh, don't worry, sister, don't worry, brother. God's not gonna give you more than you can handle because you just, your heart goes out to him. You know, you wanna encourage him. So it's not malicious, but it doesn't make it, make it any less of a lie. Now, listen, I don't wanna give the impression that God doesn't look after us, that he doesn't care about us, that, that he's not watching over us. The Bible is very clear that he is an ever-present help in time of need. So he's, that's who he is. He is a personal God. But this thing that, that God won't give us more than we can handle, what that does is it gives us this perception of who God is and what he's gonna do in my life. 
and we become, we have this entitlement mentality if we buy into this. The, the idea that God is like this overprotective supernatural parent that makes sure that we don't, you know, ride a tricycle without having three helmets on and, and elbow pads and knee pads and all those things, you know, that's not, that's, that's not who he is. That, that just doesn't hold any water because that's not what we see in the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I've often in my life had more than I can handle. <laughs> and I've had a pretty good life. We're gonna have those times in our life. And the, the only thing that, that I can really figure out, and even in my own research, that I can understand that the verse that people use for this most often, which I, I know this is it because sometimes even when I've quoted it in my head, I can misquote it sometimes if I'm not reading it. But it's 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So you can see where you get that, that he won't give you more than you can bear. You know, it just takes twisting one word to make that whole verse mean something different. But what this verse obviously means is that he's not gonna let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What he's not gonna allow temptation to come in such a way that he won't provide a way out for you. Really what this verse is actually saying is you don't ever have an excuse to sin because God's always gonna give you a way out, right? Yeah, we can twist it to say, well, God's not gonna give you more than you can handle. Don't worry, brother. He's gonna take care of everything. And by the end of the week, it's gonna be all tied up in a nice little bow and everything's gonna be good, right? And believing this lie gives us a false sense of security that God's always gonna make me safe and I'm never gonna have to deal with any more than a mild to a mediocre problem in my life. And that's not something we see in the word. In fact, tell that to the scores of people who were martyred for their faith in Jesus, right? Tell that to the people that have, the Christians that have had to deal with disease, debilitating disease or uh, abuse in their life, sexual abuse or, or physical abuse in their life. Tell that to one of them that say, oh, God's not gonna give you more than you can handle. What that does is it puts a weight on our shoulders like, well, then why do I feel like I'm crumbling? Why do I feel like I'm being crushed by this weight, right? And what it does, the response to that then is that we have to act like we're strong or we have to live in denial and act like it didn't happen. And that's not fair, that's not, that's not God's heart for us at all that we would have to live that way. And what this lie does is it makes us pursue this convenient faith in our life where God is all about making sure that we're convenient. It makes us entitled, it makes us weak faithed people. And that is not at all what we need today. Have weak faith people, we need strong people in their faith. When you signed up for your faith, you signed up for a war. You didn't sign up to join a cruise ship, you signed up to join a battleship. That's the facts. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we are in a war against rulers, against principalities, against powers of this dark world. That we're in a war. And then he also tells Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter two, he says, Timothy, endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's telling him, you are a soldier for the Lord. And that's what we are. You know, I've, I've never been a, a soldier in the army, in the military, many of you have, but I can, I'm pretty sure a commander has never went to one of his soldiers in the middle of a battle in a war and said, hey, don't worry, kid. I'm gonna make sure nothing, you're not gonna have anything more than you can handle. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna stay in front of you, make sure nothing. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he does say, 
or, or part of the message to that soldier is, hey, you're gonna, you might be going through some stuff, but what I can promise you is you're not gonna have to go through it alone. I can promise you, you're gonna have soldiers on your right and your left. You're gonna have a partner that's gonna be there with you. You're gonna have people around you that we're an army doing this together. You're not on your own. That's the promise from the commander and that's the promise from our God. He's not saying I'm not gonna make sure, I'm, not, I'm gonna make sure nothing ever hits you that's more than you can handle, but what I'm gonna do is when those things come, I'm gonna do it with you. And you can count on me and you can trust me and I, you can know that I'm gonna go through it with you. You will not be alone. Because God allows hardships in our life, church. He does or we wouldn't have any. I don't think he's the author of them, but he allows them into our life because God wants us, our life to bring him glory. The truth of the matter is, is that God is more concerned about his glory than our comfort. He's concerned about our comfort, but not nearly as much as he's concerned about his glory in our life. This world, this life is about him. It's not about us. And he is looking for warriors who are engaging hardships they find themselves in to bring glory to God. That's what he's looking for. One of the best stories in the New Testament about this is in Acts 5, you know, when the church, the church just got going, it's just getting going, the power of God is moving mightily, people are getting saved, the apostles are in Jerusalem, people are getting set free from demons, they're getting healed, all kinds of crazy stuff's going on, and the religious leaders, the Bible says, are getting jealous. Now, how you can get jealous when people are getting healed and set free from demons, that just tells you the dark, dark attitude of the religious spirit. It's so dark, it's so devious. But anyway, that's, that's a story for another day. And anyway, so these guys are doing all this, so the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they bring them in and they tell them, you gotta stop talking about Jesus and doing what you're doing. And it's where Peter says, listen, we can't stop. Basically, we're not gonna do it. And so the leaders, the religious leaders get together off on the side, basically say, listen, just don't worry about it. If it's not a God, it'll go away anyway. And so they bring the apostles back in, they have them flogged, 39 lashes. This was a major, major punishment. Um, people often died under a flogging. So this was not just a slap on the wrist, this was pretty rough. But they flogged them and they let them go and said, don't do it again. Let's see what it says in Acts 5.41. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. One of the best verses in all the Bible. Gives me perspective. Anytime I'm going through something and I'm feeling sorry for myself, just read Acts 5.41. And we'll read the first few verses before it too. But they were saying, they were rejoicing as they were leaving after they just got this punishment. Now, if someone would've walked up to them at that moment and said, hey brother, don't worry. God's not gonna give you more than you can handle. I don't think that would've went very well. Might have, got a, might have felt the back of a hand across the face somewhere, you know? But what they did know is that they could rejoice because they knew that they are in a war against the God of this age. So they were rejoicing because they knew that this was gonna bring God glory. And you have to look at this verse closely because it doesn't say they rejoiced because they were beaten. It says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy. Man, if, if we in the church could have that attitude of just knowing that anything, I, if, if, it's, if, if it brings God glory, if you would tr trust me, God, to go through something and count me worthy to go through something, trusting that it will bring you glory, that's okay. Man, it would change the world. It would change the world. But that's not easy to do. I don't know that I would have walked out of there rejoicing. I would like to think I would, but that's tough. And the irony of this truth, of the truth of this, 
is that it completely contradicts the lie. The lie is the exact opposite of what the truth is. The lie is that God won't give you more than you can handle. The truth is that is exactly what God wants to do. He wants to give you more than you can handle. Because, and it's very, very clear in the scriptures why he does that. He wants to give you more than you can handle. And I'm not saying he's giving you all these horrible things that could happen in your life. I'm saying he wants us to have the mindset of I can't handle this on my own because when we do that, that's where the power of God comes into our life. As long as we are handling it, the power of God is mitigated in our life. But once we get to that place where we say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. That's when God says, that's what I've been waiting for. Thank you very much. Because that's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. Because as long as there's a lot of me here trying to handle it and figure it out, God stands on the sidelines and kind of watches. I know that goes against a lot of our theology, but it's very clear that his strength is only brought in when we are weak. In fact, let's read it. Paul's, Paul's uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine, it says, but God said to me, this is God speaking to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. In other words, about the things I can't handle so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you wanna be strong? You wanna be able to have the power of God in your life? You have to be weak. You have to be at a place where you say, God, I can't handle this on my own. And it's not just in those big, tragic situations we're in, it's in the everyday life. He wants us to live every day of our life saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your power in me to live through me. It'll, it'll give you the power you need to get through the life. It'll also give you what you need to be able to be a light and salt to the people around you that God has called you to do in your life. Nowhere in this verse does it say that he won't give us more than we can handle. It says that I will go with you. I will be your strength if you will allow me to. His goal isn't to make sure we dodge every trouble in our life, but that by leaning on him, we would glorify him in those troubles. And you might say, well, how does my weakness bring him glory? How does me being overwhelmed bring him glory? Because when we are weak, and we allow him to come into the situation, we rely on him. When we say, God, I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna trust you, not just when the chips are up, but when the chips are down, and I'm gonna rely on you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw my strength from you, God comes into that situation. What happens is God sees it, the angels see it, people see it, and God is glorified. It's a supernatural thing that we can't even fully explain. It's one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but it's true, because I've experienced it in my own life, and I'm sure many of you have too. So he doesn't want us to try to handle it. He wants us to rely on him. All right, the next lie, and I gotta get moving if I'm gonna get done. The second lie is that God just wants me to be happy. Happy, happy. He just wants us all to be happy. We are susceptible to this lie because we want so desperately to be happy. Most of the time, our greatest thrust in life is about seeking happiness in our life, and so we feel like if it's our greatest need that we personally feel, we've convinced ourselves that it's God's biggest need for us too, and that God wants us to be happy because it's such a great need for us. Now, it's not that God doesn't want us to be happy. He's not, he doesn't want us to be sad or, or down, but it's also not this highest priority that powers our faith or motivates him in our faith. First of all, we have to understand that there's a difference between happy and joy. Okay. 
joy is God's priority for us. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about the joy of the Lord. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. In fact, part of the fruit of the Spirit living in you is joy. So God wants to give us joy. But here's the deal. Joy, and I, I, made, a, I made a really good definition for this, so I wanna make sure I say it. Joy is a settled state of contentment and confidence and hope that only comes from God. And happiness is related to our circumstances. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness fluctuates all the time, no matter who you are. There ain't a Christian out there that was happy every day of their life, right? Nobody's happy when they lose a loved one or they lose a job or they have something happen in their life that's tough. Nobody's happy through that, but you can have joy through it. So God is about us having joy, but his top priority in our life is not about us being happy. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians that have bought into the lie that God's goal for our life is that we would be happy. And it's a very, very dangerous lie because of what it does is it puts our emotions in the place of God, or at the very least, it makes it synonymous with God's will for our life. Well, I feel happy when I'm doing this, so this must be what God wants me to do. This makes me happy. I'm good at this. I feel fulfilled when I do this. So this must be what God wants me to do. Maybe it is, but you can't use the idea that, well, I'm happy when I'm doing it, so that must be what God wants. Because you and I both know happiness fluctuates all the time, right? Happy is about our emotions. You know, I've said it, I said it last month, actually, you know, that the, the, uh, the advice of, that people give sometimes to follow your heart, it's like the dumbest advice you could ever follow in your life. Never follow your heart. It sounds good, oh, follow your heart. But you know, heart is just another name for our emotions. So follow your emotions? Are you kidding me? Who wants to do that? If I follow my emotions, I'd move every two weeks and move back, and then I'd move away, and I'd move back. I'd switch jobs. I'd quit the church. I'd come back to the church. I'd be all over the place, right? Never, ever follow our heart because that's where, that's where happiness comes from too, and that's not... A, a litmus for our life. And here's the thing, church. Oftentimes people use the idea that God wants us to be happy as a justification for sin. I mean, I've heard it personally myself from people more than once that, well, you know, I know I'm married to this person, but I haven't felt like this in years like I feel when I'm with this other person. This person makes me happy, so this must be what God wants. And they use it as a justification for divorce. Or a justification for sexuality, because it makes me happy. This is how, I, this makes me feel good. Or a justification for relationships we're in and friendships that we know aren't good, but it makes us happy in the moment. And so we're going to go with that. And we justify it by saying, well, you know, I just think God wants me to be happy. And that could not be further from the truth. When we elevate happiness, we are saying, I'm the center of my world. And again, you're not the center of your world. As a follower of Jesus, you're already under him. And then Paul tells us in Philippians that we're to consider others ahead of ourselves. So if we're a Christian, we're actually third. So you're not the center of your world. You're not, your life is not about just your happiness. And we as Christians know better than that. The world's gonna do that because that's all they know. And God bless them. But that's not who we are. We give our life for Jesus. He gave his life for us. Now we give our life to serve him and whatever that entails. You know, I, I spent a year in West Africa and it wasn't because I just thought, woohoo, this is gonna be the greatest thing ever because I was serving him and I felt like that's where he was leading me. And if I'd have based my happiness on it, I'd have been, I'd have probably not even left the airport when I got there. I just got on the next plane and flew back because it was a pretty tough area to live in. 
but it's about serving him and living for him. The truth that, that, that counteracts this lie is that God is not concerned about me being happy. He wants me to be his. He wants us to be his. Committed, dedicated to him in our life. John 15, verse 10, these are the words of Jesus. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, happiness and joy is found in being committed to Jesus. When we obey his commands, we remain in him. He puts his joy in us, helps us to walk through every situation in life. There's nothing more beautiful when you see someone that, that's a seasoned Christian that is going through a tough time, whether it's the loss of a spouse or, or something difficult or even tragic in their life, and you talk to them and you can just see it, that they have a peace of God in them. They're not happy, but they have a peace and a joy that is unspeakable, but it's because of their commitment to God. It's not because they're crazy, right? It's because they love God and God gives us, Jesus says that his joy will be in us and our joy will be complete. So, so it doesn't depend on our circumstances. Praise God that our joy does not depend on our circumstances. Especially this last year and a half with COVID, it's like, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. But it doesn't have to take our joy. He wants and demands that our lasting happiness be found in knowing, loving, and serving him. God wants you to be happy, but not at the expense of his word or his will. That's his plan. He tells us, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You wanna know God's will for your life? There it is. You can have joy always. You can pray, you can give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances because, because of who Jesus is in us. The life of faith is the cure for being a victim to our circumstances. And I love it. Because it's a disease, being a victim to the, our circumstances. The life of faith is a cure for that, where we can have joy if we love Jesus. All right, the last one, the last lie. The safest place to be is in the center of his will. Heard that too, probably, right? Heard that one plenty of times. And it's an easy lie to believe because if happiness is the number one priority for us in life, safety is 1A, right? We all wanna be safe. That's born in us. There's a natural desire for self-preservation, right? And we want to be safe. So it makes sense that we would believe this and we would want God to do it for us. That if we will serve him, if we will be in his will, that that will keep us safe, that we will live in this, this Holy Spirit bubble, so to speak, where God will keep us safe in all situations. Uh, the person that was credited with saying this first was Corey Ten Boom, where she said, uh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. It's ironic that she said this, um, because she didn't mean what we take it to mean today, because if you know Corey, she was a uh, Dutch Christian during World War II. Her and her family were uh, were part of an underground network that was rescuing Jews from the Nazis. They rescued 800 Jews. And, uh, but they were caught, finally. The Nazis came in and caught them. Her and her dad and her sister were put in jail. Uh, her dad died soon after he was put in jail. Her and her sister were sent off to a concentration camp where her sister died in the concentration camp. So, center of God's will, safest place to be, I don't know about that, right? 
She tells that story. She's been all over the place. I'm sure you've heard of her uh, telling the story of, of God's protection in her life and what God did uh, through her and through her family. We've twisted this to mean that if we are in God's will, that we deserve for him to keep us safe, right? That's what that basically says. If you're in the center of God, well, it's the safest place to be. So hey, God, if I'm serving you, if I'm, if I'm living my life for you and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm doing everything I know to serve you and live for you and, and honor you and obey you, then you, and I deserve for you to keep me safe. I've believed that in my own life, so... I'll, I'll be transparent up here. I think we all can struggle with that because we feel like I'm giving God so much, well, now he's gotta watch over me and keep me safe. And we know that because it happens all the time when something happens to a Christian and what happens is the Christian goes, why God? But God, I've given you all this. Why, if I'm doing this, don't you? Because I deserve for you to keep me safe. Well, let's, let's step back just for a second here. As, as Christians, we know we don't wanna talk about what we deserve. Because what we deserve is separation from God for all of eternity. What we deserve is punishment for our sin. What we deserve is judgment on our life. But we serve such a wonderful God, he saw what we deserve and he said, well, I'm not gonna do that. And that's why he came to this earth and did that whole thing we ta talked about earlier about him coming and being born of a virgin and living this life. And he actually paid the price on the cross for, and, and took away what we deserved, the punishment we deserved, he took it for us. So let's not talk about what we deserve because God has done, if God never does another thing for me for the rest of my life, I don't deserve anything from him because I've already got my ticket to heaven. <laughs> my ticket's been punched. So whatever happens in this life is small potatoes compared to where I'm going for eternity. Now, that being said, God's a good God and he still blesses us. He's a God of blessing. And we're thankful for that. But we can't talk about what we deserve because this is very dangerous because it builds up, again, this entitlement mentality in us as Christians. And frankly, I know many people that, were, that professed faith in Jesus that walked away from God because they believed this lie. Because they said, I've served God, I've done this, I've given tithes, I've... I've helped the poor, I've read my Bible, I've went to seminary, I've done all these things, but God still allowed my son to die from cancer. So they walk away from the faith. They walk away and they say, well, I've given so much to God, yet he couldn't even do what I needed him to do, and they've walked away. Scores of people have walked away from faith because they have believed this lie, that if I'm in the center of God's will, if I'm doing what God wants, that he's gonna make sure that I'm safe. He's gonna make sure that everything that I have interest in is taken care of. And again, we just don't see it in the word of God. Where does this come from? Who are these people that are Christians that have had a perfect life? I haven't seen one. And you can't find one even in the Bible. You know, David was serving God and he suffered a lot. Joseph was serving God, he suffered a lot. Daniel was serving God, he suffered a lot. John the Baptist lost his head serving God. All the early apostles except for John were martyred serving God. And even the apostle Paul, you know, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And God knew he was gonna do that. God almost forced him to get saved. You know, he blinded him on the road to Damascus and he said, listen, you're gonna, basically, you're gonna be my witness to the people. And he knew what was going on. You would think of all the people that God would have said, okay, 
listen guys, we gotta put Paul in a bubble. We gotta make sure this dude's taken care of. We don't want him to be discouraged. We don't want him to be hurt. We don't want him to have any trouble because he is gonna be a major player for thousands of years. Well, let's read what happened to Paul. 2 Corinthians 11. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. So, if the litmus for being in God's will is safety and protection, I am much more in the will of God than Paul ever was. Praise God. I didn't even know I was that good. Obviously, this is not the litmus. I haven't gone through any of these things on this list except maybe without sleep, and that wasn't because of persecution. That was because of Delta Airlines, all right? So that's not the litmus. You might say, well, Paul's an extreme case. No, he's not. You can see it over and over and over again in the word, and you see it today. I see people all the time that I know love Jesus with all their heart that are going through difficult stuff. So being in the center of God's will, it's a great place to be, but it's not about our protection. Again, we're making it all about ourselves. Our focus is completely backwards. Being in the center of God's will is about honoring him. It should be about, man, if I'm in his will, if I'm doing what he wants me to do, if I'm fulfilling his purpose for my life, I'm hoping and praying that the kingdom of God is advanced because of it. And yeah, he's gonna bless me too because that's just who he is. He's a good God. But it's not, that's not my motive. That can't, be my, that can't be what gets me out of bed in the morning to say, oh, I'm gonna see you how, how God's gonna bless me today. It sounds great. It sounds spiritual. It sounds churchy and it sounds religious, but it's not really the motivation. He wants us to lay down our lives for him. He wants us to give our lives for him. The truth is, is that the best, the most rewarding, the most fulfilling, the most peaceful place to be is in the center of his will. There's no doubt about it. But it's not necessarily the safest. That can't be what motivates us to get into the will of God, which is, by the way, incredibly ambiguous anyway, right? But when we're talking about that, we're just talking about even serving him and living our life for him. We have to understand that, you know, Fear is something that we deal with so much as human beings. This lie perpetuates fear in our life because it's all about my safety. Like, oh, I gotta figure out how to get, in the, get to where God wants me so I'll be safe, right? And then when stuff happens that's, that can kind of stoke a fear in our life, we can start thinking, well, maybe I'm not doing what God wants me to do, right? Because if I was, God would be keeping me safe. And it just, it's a breeding ground for fear and anxiety to flourish in our life. You see, we're not meant to be focused on just our safety. We're meant to be focused on being a blessing. You know, God blessed Abraham to be a blessing. We're supposed to be conduit for the power of God going through us, the blessings of God going through us. And fear is magnified in our life when we stop being a conduit. When we become a reservoir of God's blessing, instead of a pipeline, the fear of God flourishes, or the fear flourishes in our life because we're not meant to be that. It's never supposed to be about us. Everything just coming to us to make sure we're taken care of in our life. Being in his will does not keep us from the battle. 
it sustains us in the battle. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Okay, stand with me, please, and I'll, I'll close today. Listen, if you want to defeat the lies in your life, you have to know the word. Don't know somebody else's version of the word. Know the word. You know, I was, I was a student of the word long, long before I was ever in ministry. When I was a contractor, I would park, I took my Bible with me every day and every minute I got, I'd park on the side of the road and I'd open my Bible and I'd read and I'd pray and I'd study. It's not just for ministers, this is for us in our life. And this is how we, how we expose the lies and understand the truth of God in our life. And it's about being part of community. You know, being part of a community of believers. You being here today is so good. You know, that we are, we are fellowshipping together, that we are a body of believers because the lies are perpetuated when we're alone. The enemy, he looks to separate us from the flock so that he can have his way with us, so he can, he can breed those lies into our life in a greater way. Truth is exposed. I can't tell you how many times lies that I have started to believe in my own life were exposed as I talked to my wife or I talked to other Christians and I realized, oh, that's really dumb. That's not God at all, you know? So it's important that we're part of a community of believers too. So I wanna pray for us today. Uh, I encourage you to respond. You're welcome to come up to the altar if you wanna come pray here, but I wanna pray over us just that God would, uh, would help us to expose the lies in our life, especially when it comes to his will for us, amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we do love you. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. Lord, we know the lies put us in bondage, but the truth frees us. God, help us to walk in the truth. Help us to know your truth. God, we thank you today that you love us so, so much. Lord, that your plans for us are good, that knowing your will and walking in your will is a very, very good thing. But God, we know ultimately, at the end of the day, your word shows us that the greatest thing we could do to be in your will is to know you, to know you in an intimate way, to love you, to be passionate for you, to serve you, to desire to honor you, to glorify you, to see your will be done and your kingdom come on this earth and in our lives. Lord, would you do that for each and every one of us? Everyone under the sound of my voice, that your purposes would be accomplished in our life. Lord, as you told us to pray, that your will would be done that your kingdom would come on this earth just like it is in heaven. So Lord, we're praying for it. We want it in our lives. Help us to see if we've been deceived. Open our eyes to deception, Lord God. We know we don't know everything. And Lord, where we have believed the lies or we have not wanted to know the truth because the lie made more sense to us or the lie was more convenient for us, God, we repent of that today. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your great love for us. God, we know that the God of this age is blinding the minds of unbelievers, Lord. So we pray for any unbelievers that are in this room today or listening online. We pray for them, Lord, that their minds, that the lies would be exposed. Father, that they would give their heart and their life to you, that they would commit their ways to you, to trust you for their salvation, to trust you for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that we would, none of us would try to handle it on our own, but we would be weak so that you can be strong. Be strong in each one of us, Lord, because we know when you're strong in us, the glory all goes to you, and that's what we want. That's our heart's desire today. Would you seal this work today in our hearts by your Holy Spirit? 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Can we praise God one more time in here today? God bless you. Praise God.